If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to the HP Podcast, your weekly video game show from the three handsome boys you know. Ladies and gentlemen, today, it is a most hallowed day for two-thirds of us. It is July the 4th, the independence of America, the only reason that Canada still exists on the map. I better be careful. Like, half our patrons are Canadian, I'm pretty sure. It is It is here. <laughs> uh, so I'd, I'd first like to get the thoughts of uh, my fellow countrymen. Uh, Brandon Duncan. Yes, absolutely. Tell me, how are you feeling on this um, America Day? I actually named this Zencaster track America, if you didn't see that. Oh, I did not, but yeah. um, glad to glad to hear you did. Um, today's the only day I feel this sort of spirit inside of me. Um, <laughs> I I hear the Eagles roaring. I don't think it's the tinnitus. I think it's the Eagles. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel the blood pumping. The cholesterol is just coursing through my veins. The cholesterol. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I feel I feel fat. top. I feel top notch. I think my ABV. Uh, not my ABV. Maybe my ABV. <laughs> Alcohol, baby. Let's go, America. Fourth of <laughs> July. Uh, you you get what I'm trying to say. Um, so, yeah, I'm doing good. Doing good. Um, a little bit sunburn already. And yeah, the, sorry about that. No, 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 no. Not your fault. It's my uh, it's my timid skin. I uh, just can't take the sun's heat. But uh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. This is a this is a special day for all the Americans, um, mostly just because they have the chance to maybe blow their fingers off. Yeah. So after you left earlier, you were you, so for those who don't know, which is literally none of you, uh, Brandon came over to my parents today. We uh, we uh, we did some well, we just really actually just ate and hang out. But after you left, we did some fireworks, uh, which were basically just like bottle rockets and stuff. And my mom was like, don't let the kids. <laughs> and I was like, Mom, I was their age doing this in the backyard. You didn't care. Right. You didn't say shit. Now it was a different time, I guess. It was a different time. Dave, I'd like to hear from you now. Um, you had your Independence Day just a few days ago. Tell me about how you know the, the contrasting and comparing of the two really strikes you. Um, I don't. I don't really think it's that different. We do fireworks. Um, there's a lot of like outdoor activities. I really just think we kind of celebrate it more as like the beginning of summer. Um, yeah. Ours is on a weekend this year, which was kind of cool, but. Yeah, people nice. just kind of go to cottages. And it's actually like if you do not go to a cottage or go camping on Canada Day long weekends, um, most like downtown Toronto was a ghost town. Uh, neighborhood I'm in was a ghost town. Like people just kind of disappear because uh, hmm. we all sort of migrate out to to cottage country. That's just that's just what you do is you hmm. go as far away from people as possible. That's how you. That's how you celebrate is you you become independent from from the community around you. Ah, uh, that's how you celebrate. So really, we're, we're 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 celebrating more independence rather than Canada Day. So we're kind of, you know, celebrating July 4th more than you would think um, and more than people would probably admit. But, yeah, it's cool kind of uh, celebrating so close to you guys. You know, happy high treason day. You and grateful turncoats. Um, this is your day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. So, yeah, it was a fun weekend. It was it was fun. Dave, I love I love hearing that because I feel like the biggest difference is ours is just mostly about just getting violently drunk um, and barbecuing. So that's kind of an interesting contrast there. Canadians do that every weekend. So, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of getting violently drunk, I, I'm not, by the way, but I am drinking a beer to mark the occasion. I, I very rarely drink a beer. Well, at all. But especially my God, do you hear that? 
I do, dude. You hear that? Somebody, America. somebody that is, is the loudest vehicle I have ever heard outside of my house. That had to have been American. That's America muscle. right there. That, That's they America. knew. Yeah, we keep that in for the July Fourth. Oh, show. absolutely. Uh, normally, I would like try to cut that out, but it's just it's staying <laughs> for the show. Yeah, I'm drinking. To. I'm drinking a Southern Tier Juice Jolt, extra juicy IPA. Brandon, I actually had put this one aside, dude. I know specifically for I you, know. and you didn't drink it. So I guess know. what? I'm drinking it because America. I left. I'm independent I, from you. I, I was thinking about it on the way home. I thought, motherfucker, I didn't even take a single sip of that damn thing. No, you didn't. And now it's mine. Boys, let's talk about some video games. It's about that time. Let's start off with number one. And we're we're gonna the first two news items here are about Ubisoft. Uh, really about actually, I'm gonna reverse these. According to a report, Ubisoft currently has the following Assassin's Creed games planned. Assassin's Creed Mirage, Assassin's Creed Nexus, which is a VR game, Assassin's Creed Codename Jade, which is a mobile game, Assassin's Creed Codename Red, Codename Hex, Codename Invictus, multiplayer, Codename Nebula, single player, Codename Red, Raid, multiplayer, Codename Echoes, multiplayer, Nexus 2, already, uh, (laughs) just being discussed internally, apparently, and a remake of Black Flag, single player, just greenlit. Apparently, Ubisoft Sophia has pitched Project Nebula, which will feature three different settings, India, Aztec Empire, and the Mediterranean. Ubisoft Chengdu has pitched Project Raid, a free-to-play four-player cooperative title set in the Assassin's Creed universe. Annecy has pitched Project Echoes, described as a multiplayer title utilizing Ubisoft's scalar technology. And Ubisoft is also working on a remake of Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag. We just found out about this one. This is actually the second news story, but whatever. It's, it's all whatever. One of the most beloved entries in the series, of course. And this is not confirmed. This is just like according to a source that may be close to, to Ubisoft. It's in its early stages. It will take a few years to complete, of course. Ubisoft Singapore, which we know from their fantastic work on uh, Skull and Bones, of course. You know, everybody loves that game. Uh, oh, wait, that's not out yet. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> they'll be involved in modernizing the sailing game set in the Caribbean. While it's unclear how much the gameplay will evolve, the emphasis on ship-to-ship combat offers potential for a more dramatic version than a simple remaster. Ubisoft has still yet, I wrote this in here, I forgot I wrote it in here, has still yet to release Skull and Bones, another pirate game plagued by delays and internal issues. The team is focused on polishing a game for a closed beta planned in late August. So, wow. Dave... You and I have talked a lot about Assassin's Creed games over the years, and we here on the show have talked a lot about the joke that is um, that is Skull and Bones. But what do you think about all these freaking Assassin's Creed games? It sounds like a lot, and I sort of gasped and groaned a little when I when I when I saw the list in your write up because it just it just seems like so much. But um, what what keeps me coming back to the franchise is uh, the settings, and um, as long as you know they keep visiting new settings, and and hopefully the sign of what we're seeing with Mirage is uh, them taking a step back a little bit to some of the more traditional um, parkour and like world design elements, then um, I'm okay with that. The other thing is like this: this sounds like a lot, but if 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 it had leaked from Ubisoft around the time like Assassin's Creed Brotherhood came out, how many games were planned? There would have been just as many games in that list. There would have been Assassin's Creed 3, Black Flag would have been uh, conceptualized at that point, Uh, Assassin's Creed Liberation for the Vita, Um, uh, Assassin's Creed um, Unity, and then uh, the other one was Shea Cormac that I really liked that I can't remember, Rogue. Like all of those games were planned at one point. So... As long as these things are staggered, as long as the settings are all um, interesting and refreshing and separate from each other, I think it's good. Um, we also have to keep in mind that like VR is in the mix here, as is mobile. So, um, you know, as long as they can kind of keep the, you know, properly stagger these release dates and keep the settings interesting, um, I'm okay with it. Again, it sounds like a lot, but we know that this is one of Ubisoft's biggest franchises. It it consistently sells really, really well. I know everybody in the industry likes to shit on Assassin's Creed, um, but the fact of the matter is, is the Hollis sold really, really well. Um, Origins and Odyssey sold really, really well. So as long as people are buying these games, they're going to continue to make a lot of them. So um, sounds like a little bit of oversaturation, but again, as long as they stagger these release dates, keep the settings new and exciting. Um, I'm I'm okay with this. I think I'm not. I'm not like. <laughs> 
chomping at the bit to get updates on every single new title, but uh, I, I, I'm okay with this. This is I like playing some Assassin's Creed, as you know. Brandon, I think Dave's right as far as the release dates go. They just like this seems like a lot, but obviously, like if we had gotten a list directly from Ubisoft, show us all the titles you're working on. Right, it wouldn't be weird to see games on there that are ten years out potentially because they're pre 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 production. So I don't know, but what do you? You're, you've never really been a huge Assassin's Creed guy. Yeah, yeah. No, I certainly have enjoyed a couple iterations of the IP. Um, I do think, at first glance, you're right; it does look like a lot. But I think this is something that you know. In the list, I mean, we're even seeing things like concept slash prototype, rumor type things. You never know if any of these things are actually going to make it to fruition. I'm right. sure a lot of them will. Um, but Dave also brought up a good point. I mean, we're working with not only single player, we're working with multiplayer experiences and VR experiences and mobile. So I think that that's kind of just like something else to keep in mind as well. It's not like all of these are just single <laughs> single player um, story driven campaigns. I do hope that as well as Dave does, that they keep on with the parkour. Um, but I'm rather interested, to be honest with you. I think India and the Aztec Empire as a setting would be really, really cool. Specifically, I have a lot of interest in the Aztec Empire. Yeah. Um, I love the aesthetic um, of that culture. Um, and I would love to see an Assassin's Creed game there, man. So I guess this is a big list, but it's good to see that they got a lot coming down the pipeline and we're seeing a lot of good things about Mirage, at least from what it seems. Um, so I'm hoping they kind of carry that goodwill um, and keep going uh, because there definitely have been some really, really good Ubisoft games in the past five years. Um, whether you like them or not, they've been pretty good overall. They've sold. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So this is good. Good for Ubisoft. I'm glad they're actually getting use out of a, a very... Um, beloved and uh long-running series in ip so this is good for me dave it's been a little while since we talked about it but are you um are you still hyped about assassin's creed mirage do you feel like it's uh you feeling good things i think so the, tingly bits? the closer we get to it the more i'm like i think i'm going to buy this game when it launches <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've had this weird and you, you know, you're going to get into to talking about black flag a little bit, but I really want to go back and play black flag. But I know if I do, I'm going to have this urge to platinum it. And the only thing that's holding me back from actually doing that is there are multiplayer trophies. So, um, you yeah. know, the fact that they're coming with a remake, hopefully, uh, that trophy list doesn't have any multiplayer, um, sort of trophies in it. But, um, that aside, I think the more I kind of think about, uh, Mirage, the more I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to that traditional approach to, you know, the parkour and the the mission design and and not having um, items drop from enemies that are, you know, green and purple and blue and stuff. Like, I just don't need that in Assassin's <laughs> Creed. And uh, it looks like we're not getting that with Mirage. So the more I see, like, I was kind of meh about it earlier this year. But again, now that we've seen, like, full gameplay reveal, I'm like, I think I'm going to be in this game at launch. So, yeah, the closer we get, the more hyped I am for it. Yeah, and I mean, you could just get a month of Ubisoft play, right? And get that? Yeah, I could, I'm but, assuming. you know, I, I, I'd like to support Ubisoft. You know, they need our help. So uh, I might I might just buy yeah, a full small, price. Small well, I might buy two copies, you know, just to, just to well, yeah. support. Yeah. I guess I'm also asking for myself because I might go that route, you know? So... The Ubisoft Play or whatever it's called, Ubisoft yeah. Plus, I think. Yeah, yeah, I might go that route. Just to check it out because it's it's supposed. To, I mean, I don't want to tread over old water, but it's supposed to be a smaller experience too, right? Since it's a budget yeah. title, mm-hmm. it's a it's a DLC. So right, okay. Uh, it's it started out as a DLC. They've said they've turned it into a full game, but you know, some of these DLCs, specifically for the newer Assassin's Creed games, are like ten to fifteen hours. So right, right, you right. Know, you could say it's you could say it's a, a DLC and not be far off. I think sure. Yeah, I've thought about that before. Um, I do that. I do pop into those occasionally. And then when if I really like the game, when it's on sale for $20 in two years, I go ahead and pick it up. Um, I think that's a very valid way to, 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 to pick and choose what games you want to play. But I also, you know, as we've discussed many times, I'm also very much a physical guy. I don't, I don't always want to rent my games. So I'm okay with, uh, with doing either one, depending on the situation. Number three, technically, because that was two. <laughs> Daedalic Entertainment. Now, I say Daedalic. Some people say Daedalic. What do you guys say? I thought it was Daedalic. Daedalic? I thought it was. Yeah. I think we've, 
Uh, I've I've met them at PAX before. There was a game they had called yeah. Unrailed, uh, and I'm pretty sure the guy I spoke to said Datalik, so that's what I'm going with. Okay, we'll we'll go with Datalik, and that will probably be the last game you see that they've made, uh, Dave, because of this story. Datalik Entertainment, <laughs> the studio behind the Lord of the Rings Gollum, is shutting down its internal development arm and focusing on game publishing, sales, and marketing, according to Games Workshop, which is a German website. I don't. It, somebody translated it, and then I, you know, whatever. The studio has laid off twenty-five individuals and will support them in finding new opportunities. Development of another Lord of the Rings game, codenamed It's Magic, has been halted. Despite this, Datalik is committed to improving the Lord of the Rings Golem with a new patch in the works. A Nintendo Switch version of the game is also being developed. I don't think that's the case anymore, but I could not find that. I thought I saw that on Twitter that it was canceled, but I, I don't know. Uh, of course, Gollum received lots and lots and lots of criticism. Yeah, Dave's upset about the no switch version. Brandon, um, <laughs> when is Lord of the Rings Gollum going to be cheap enough for you to play? Never. Okay. Um, they could give on. it to me for free and I wouldn't play it. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to be really upfront about that. Um, but I don't really think there's much shaving this game. I think that uh, this company, you know, as sad as it is, and you never want to see people laid off. It's just one of those things. I don't know if it's top down, uh, you know, ruling fist type thing that kind of made this game get pushed out or what. Um, But they had to have known that something was not quite right uh, before putting this thing out. So um, it sucks to see. And I really do genuinely hope what they're saying is true. They're going to help people find new positions, uh, but it's probably best that, uh, this whole studio kind of take a step back um, for a little bit and try production work, I suppose. Dave, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm with you, Brandon. If if Andy Circus and Vigo Mortensen were playing Gollum in my backyard, I would draw the curtains. That's just how <laughs> it's bad. Um, yeah, I feel bad yeah, for them because, like, real. they've I, this wasn't their one shot. But I mean, when this game got announced and and people were like, "Who's developing it?" and we said Datalik and you said, who is Datalik? And you, you look at what they, they kind of came from. And as I said, like I played one of the games at PAX, it was called Unrailed and it was, it was, it was a multiplayer like indie game. And, you know, if you look at some of the other games they've created, which aren't many, it was, it was, it was a bit of a head scratcher as to why they were given this IP. It was, it was a niche game in a, in a pretty big IP granted, but um, I don't know. The, the whole situation kind of stinks of, you know, they were given, um, you know, they bit off far too much than they could chew and they, and they weren't given enough time or resources to kind of, to put something out there. Cause what's there is, is pretty broken and stuff. And maybe if given another year or something, this could have been something good. So I have to feel for them because, um, you know, they, they evidently were giving two chances. They fucked up the first one and then the second one disappeared. So, um, hopefully, you know, th- there might be another opportunity for the creative people at Datalik to, to develop something again in the future, but I guess off to publishing for now. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do feel for them cause I think this was, this was a little out of their league and they were, they were punching above their weight class. So, um, yeah, sorry, Datalik. Um, imagine being someone who got laid off from Datalik and you go to apply to another job and they're like, Okay, uh, yeah, what have you done in the past? And they're like, um, well, I worked at Dalek. I worked on, on the Gollum game. And they're like, Dalek, I've, I've never heard of them. What, you know, what, all, what, what happened? Why aren't you there anymore? And they're like, well, the game we made was so bad, they shut down our studio. And by the way, it was our own company. Like, the company still exists. <laughs> and they're just saying, we're not making games anymore. Yeah. That's pretty rough. I mean, everybody puts out a dud once. And not, I shouldn't say everybody. But most studios occasionally have a game that is less than well received. Not always a game that is terribly received, but just like, oh, man, the the shame that would follow you in your career must be like that would be hard to deal with. Yeah. And I'm positive that if you search the Gollum game on Google, the first five that you'll see are just articles running through the mud. I wonder if you search data data lick, if it is the same deal. I mean, I wonder if there's any good buried in there. That can't be an easy conversation to have somebody that you're applying to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. it just simply cannot. And it's, it sucks to see, cause I'm sure there are really talented people there. Oh, for sure. Um, it's just, you know, a combination I mean, of a bunch of things. The so. reality is they all have more talent in developing games than the three of us do. Cause we've never oh, done absolutely. shit. Well, that's, I mean, I work in publishing, so I would be I would be one of the ones that got saved. 
Uh, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, like I give them props cause they're still, you know, I'm sure they're talented individuals, but whatever was happening there just did not shake out in no. favor of the game. Number four, Baldur's Gate three, the upcoming CRPG from Larian studios will d- offer approximately 200 hours of content for completionists. According to Sven Vink, Vink, Sven Vink, Sven Vink. Yeah, he's the boss of Larian. A standard playthrough will take around 75 to 100 hours with completion of all content reaching 200. Vink also mentioned that playing with friends in multiplayer could extend the first playthrough to a year or more, similar to sessions in Dungeons and Dragons. The game offers significant replay value due to its depth and complexity, featuring numerous classes, subclasses, races, and subraces. Baldur's Gate 3 will have transitions between chapters for players to take breaks or engage with other games. The game will launch on August 3rd on PC and September 6th on PlayStation 5. Now that uh, I put this in there also to mention that they were smart. Their game was originally supposed to release on September 3rd, I think it was. And that was before Starfield uh, announced their date. So they said, OK, PC is coming out a month earlier. PlayStation's getting delayed three days, which is a weird. I think it's three days. I think it's only like a couple days. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So. I don't know. I am interested in Baldur's Gate 3 because I enjoyed the very first Baldur's Gate. I did not play the second one because it seemed too much for me. But I don't know. Dave, this doesn't really... I don't know. Baldur's Gate doesn't seem like a... a, a, None of the three of us are CRPG people, right? What does the C stand for? Computer. Really? I think so. Huh. Let me look it up. I always thought it did, but I have never been when asked. Baldur's Gate it. 3 was announced back in uh, 2020. It was just before COVID, I think. Um, just before it began. Uh, I remember seeing... Computer role-playing game, by the way. Computer, Computer role-playing, role-playing game. game. Interesting. Um, yep. I remember seeing and thinking, like, I I, am, I have some... I, I, I recognize the name Baldur's Gate, and, and the trailers all look good, and a lot of people were freaking out about it. And then I saw the gameplay, and I was like, that is not what I'm into. So um, I, yeah. I know it's interesting because I know that this franchise has, has a very strong following, and they're all people sort of in our age range, which which have an older, and they have a lot of disposable income. So if anything could go toe-to-toe with Starfield day and date, I think it could be something like this, but probably a good idea to kind of back off. But uh, yeah, no, Baldur's Gate... Is, uh, is not something that I'm uh, super into myself. Brandon, I already know your answer is no. So go ahead and sound off <laughs> on what do you think about, you know, 200 hours of, of content for somebody who's, I assume, like, that's to get the platinum, you know, like right. the, the equivalent of that. Sure. That's uh, a lot. Yeah, no, it definitely seems like a robust experience, um, to say the absolute least, uh, compared to most games nowadays. Um, so I guess that's a good thing for the people that are interested. There's a lot of decent buzz going on around this game. And I don't want to say that I'm uninterested. I think I'm just intimidated um, by it. Um, I am interested. I am genuinely like, I feel like I want to experience it at least a little bit, whether or not that'll actually happen is another story altogether, but um, it looks cool. It does look cool. And I mean, clearly you'll be getting your value um, whether or not it will be enjoyable for me personally is another thing altogether, but um, it's shaping up pretty well. And I think that the fact that they can release on PC early kind of shows that the game is probably in a pretty good state. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to think about this one and I want to watch. I'll probably wait to see people playing it to be able to give a better determination on what I feel about it, but I could be easily persuaded. I mean, the idea of it sounds cool. So, yeah, it's got 174 hours of cutscenes total. Now, of course, that's not going to be every person who plays the game. That's depending on how you play it and, you know, what choices you make lead to certain things, whatever. But like, that's a lot. And and hopefully you're right, Brandon, about them being able to launch early on um, PC, meaning it's done because we've seen a lot of broken PC titles. So hopefully they're not just doing it to get ahead of Starfield, but they're also hoping to hopefully it's actually done, you know, and I imagine that the the release on the PlayStation five getting pushed a couple days, probably at least in part has to do with the fact that they've still got to get physical copies out and they probably can't move that by a month. But right. Yeah, I'm I like CRPGs, but I do not have the stamina to play them for 200 hours. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, it's for just any not, game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it it definitely has a lot of buzz, and I'm sure I'm going to end up it, if we talk if we talk about Dave's uh, proposition last week of dollars per hour for your content. 
this is a good deal. Yeah, this absolutely. is a really good deal, especially because I feel like um, when I play these types of games with lots of decisions and stuff, I usually go back and at least do another playthrough, if not more than one. And, you know, play out other classes, make different decisions, all that kind of stuff, do different builds, much like I plan on doing in Diablo 4. Yeah. So it's definitely um, it's definitely a value if it's your kind of game. Do we think that the play to move up the the PC port signals um, that they think a lot will be playing on PC then, I guess? Yeah, I think it's it's heavily an RP or it's heavily a PC game. Okay. In my opinion, yeah. You can play it on PlayStation 5, obviously, and I think they are working to get it on the Xbox, apparently. But this is definitely... I mean, it's literally a CRPG. That's right. the right. original one, I think. Maybe maybe it was on console at one point, but I think it was like a remaster or something. It's definitely a, a game to be made on the, or played on the computer. Gotcha. For okay. sure. Keyboard and mouse, specifically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well. Number five. The Netherlands is set to block loot boxes in video games, according to an email confirmation from the Public Information Service. The Dutch government plans to improve regulations for in-game purchases, specifically aiming to ban loot boxes. The decision comes after a call to action by the Dutch Minister of Economic and Climate Policy. It follows a motion submitted by six political parties to ban loot boxes, which was prompted by the Dutch Gambling Authority's unsuccessful attempt to regulate them. The ruling stated that EA did not violate the country's gambling laws with loot boxes in FIFA. The decision is expected to have implications for the global games industry. Brandon, I saw you nodding along in approval. You've got some experience with loot boxes. Oh, yeah. We all do at this point as a gamer, uh, even a even a casual gamer, uh, like a Candy Crush gamer only. You, you have experience with something that's very similar to a loot box uh, at the very least. Um, so this is good news overall. Um I, I hope it doesn't backfire and make things more difficult uh, for game gaming in the future because they'll have to put out specific things, specific places. But um, I think any win for the consumer is a win regardless. So um, I like to see that companies have to be held accountable somewhere, even if it's not where I live. Um, I don't know that banning them altogether is the right move. Um, I think that maybe regulating them was a better uh, direction. But... Um, I guess it's something. Um, I'll talk about it a little bit later and what I've been playing, but I just am disgusted lately um, with the monetization and how things have been going uh, in the gaming industry. So, yeah. Dave, your thoughts on uh, the Netherlands blocking loot boxes? Yeah, it's, um, you know, they specifically mentioned FIFA there. So I, I assume the loot boxes that they're referring to are the packs. And, uh, you know, we, we all kind of played a little bit of sports games here and there. Uh, growing up in and having revisited some of the franchises um, last year and the year before, um, I've come to see how much these sports games are really just built around these transactions and, and opening card packs. And uh, a lot of these games, too, are being purchased on subscription. So, um, you know, when you go out and buy a pack of hockey cards, and this is another hobby I've kind of gotten into earlier this year, is, is you know, if regardless if you get a, a a, an autographed card or like a really rare card or something with value, you still have something physical to show for it. But with these games being subscribed to and, and, and people dumping all these, uh, all this money into these microtransactions, like you can literally spend thousands of dollars and have nothing to show for it. Um, Netherlands, I think is a small market, um, but I hope this means that more EU countries follow suit with this because that's how you really kind of, make statements to big companies like Ubisoft and EA. Um, but I don't know. I just look at the way that, that sports games have, have kind of really gone down the shitter um, because they've, they've appealed to this really a, a, addicting and predatory, um, you know, way of consumption. And, and I really hope it stops. And um, Netherlands is a small, small start, but it is a start. Um, so I hope we continue to see this because um, it really sucks, especially for, sports video games um so yeah let's see more of this brandon actually brandon already you already mentioned yeah it's fucking awful ben yeah ben yeah (laughs) um yeah i mean i am still very much of the opinion that it's personal responsibility like if you spend a bunch of money on loot boxes that's your own fault but I do understand how it preys on people and I understand that, you know, gambling is an addiction and you know, that all that kind of stuff. So I do feel for the people who are 
tempted by that stuff. But as someone who has maybe a once or twice bought a loot box in my entire life, if, if even that much, and has never even felt tempted to, it's hard for me to like think that government intervention is the answer. But right. I think we all know that's just the way things have to go. And honestly, Ben, I guess after you saying that, to be more clear, I probably mostly agree with what you're saying as well. Yeah. I think my bigger takeaway, and it's obviously awful, you know, gambling addiction is an addiction. Sure. That's that's awful. But I hate the way it's shaped how we consume these products. Yeah. That is my biggest takeaway. And that's what I'm cheering for the most. Ultimately, at the end of the day, there is personal responsibility whether you do anything with your finances. But really, the way it has just bastardized a lot of these game experiences and tailored the entire experience around trying to produce a certain dollar value out of customers, even yeah. from premium content, is just repulsive. And it's almost the new norm in games. Um, and it's really just frightening and sad to see. So, yeah, agreed. Number six. And actually, before I read this that I wrote here, I want to mention um, in 2022, Phil Spencer said that any revivals of classic Rare fran franchises were up to Rare. And then um, we all know that the um, the folks from... Some folks from Rare went on and founded Platonic Games, which then made ukulele. And so they were asked about this as well. So with that said, number six, the members of the original Banjo-Kazooie team, the people, some folks from Platonic, expressed doubts about the release of a new entry in a franchise anytime soon. With the franchise... While the franchise gained more prominence with the N64 original being added to the Nintendo Switch Online and the characters appearing in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, the team questioned the audience's size and whether the right team with the original game's humor exists. Um, side note, I would I, I kind of question that about uh, Fable, too, because that's what made those games to me, but we'll see. They also mentioned the possibility of a modern remaster to gauge interest and suggested that Ubisoft Milan could potentially do justice to a Banjo revival. The team reflected on the emotional impact of Banjo's inclusion in Super Smash Brothers and also expressed hope for the series return despite uncertainties. Now, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I was I was a big Banjo guy back in the 90s, back in the day, you know, and um, I have to say, too, I, th I think I might agree that I don't know if the desire for a game like Banjo exists, but I'm also like. How much could a banana cost? Ten dollars? Like yeah. how? How much? Yeah. I don't know. Would a remake or a remaster even be that much difficulty and and money really in the scheme of things? I don't know, Dave. What do you, what do you think about banjo revival? Um, I I I also do not have a whole lot of experience with um banjo. Uh, it seemed kind of short lived. You know, it it had really strong presence on the N64 and then things happen with rare and it just kind of fell to the wayside. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there who, who are really interested in this game. And I think for uh, the powers that be the easiest way to test the waters, as you said, Ben is you don't even have to remaster it, I guess, you know, if you just kind of put it out there as is on, on, you know, the digital storefronts and see if people pick it up, if you want to stoke a little bit more interest, then, you know, Put that remaster out there, um, sharpen up the textures a little bit and see what the appetite's like. Um, you know, maybe there are enough people out there who are still interested in this franchise and would gravitate towards uh, an entire remake or even like a full-blown sequel or revival. I don't know what that would look like. This the series got kind of weird with, with nuts and bolts. Um, then again, we got Tears of the Kingdom and that was amazing, but... <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I know there's big fans out there, and and I think the easiest way for Nintendo and Rare to, to figure out if, if or sorry, it would be Microsoft and Rare to figure out if, uh, you know, there would still be a home on Microsoft consoles is just put a remaster out there and see see how many takers there are. I, I'd probably check it out, especially if it was on Game Pass, because, um, you know, these, these, these games do have nostalgia, even though I didn't really gravitate towards this franchise specifically. Um, you know, I did play stuff like Super Mario 64 and Donkey Kong 64, um, which were very similar to, you know, the original Banjo-Kazooie. So, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see that sort of thing come out because I would I would probably pick that up on Game Pass. You mentioned about the, you know, questioning who would make the decision. And it's really fascinating because when Rare was a Nintendo studio, I would assume in that case that Nintendo owned the IP. But then when Rare went to Microsoft, when they bought them, 
I think the IP transferred either with them or it had already transferred to Rare specifically. And then when Microsoft bought them, obviously they got that IP as well. But the the game was just released on Switch Online as an N64 title. So there must be, I guess there's some agreement there. I don't know. Brandon, though, uh, let's hear let's hear your thoughts on Banjo and whether whether he can come back. Yeah, no, I'm I'm in agreement with you too. To be honest with you, I have next to no experience with banjo. Um, I'd never had an N64 growing up, and I went to somebody's house once or twice that did. Um, obviously, a really cool character at all, but I really think that uh, kind of just echoing what Dave said, give it the Crash Bandicoot treatment, put it out again, see what it's like, and if it does well, make a new one. I mean. That's just honestly the perfect model. And like you said, it doesn't even necessarily have to be completely redone, I don't think. Um, I really am just echoing what you guys said, but I think Crash is the perfect example. Um, They put out the old ones, made them look better, got some buzz around the name again, um, and then they put on a new one, which I think was maybe not the most successful, but I'm sure it made them some money. It definitely made them their money. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree, man. I agree. Now, this next story, I was uh, getting ready to type it up and uh, someone typed in a link. And so, I mean, I already had the story typed up. So I, I, I copied and pasted what I what I had. And then right there on the screen in Google Docs appeared big dicks and butts. <laughs> um, so this story starts out with number seven, big dicks and butts. It appears that Halo Infinite, despite a relatively positive launch, has seen a significant decline in player interest on Steam. The player numbers on Steam have dropped to just 2% of what they were at launch. Currently, the game has fewer players compared to other titles like that are Live Extreme Venus Vacation or the 11-year-old Borderlands 2. It's worth noting that Halo Infinite's multiplayer is a free download. While the game may still be more popular on Xbox, Microsoft doesn't release player numbers, so it's difficult to determine the exact players player base also wanted to note that sea of thieves is um in a lull right now because of content uh getting delayed and it is one of its lowest points in a couple years and it is still magnitudes larger than halo infinite a free game on steam i just had to put that out you know because people talk about sea of thieves is a dead game well it's important halo infinite's a dead game okay it's important for you to know that important for me to quote (laughs) brandon as as our resident um shooter experts sure how you feeling about about halo infinite and its trajectory did you even remember that halo infinite existed yeah i mean i see it every single time i look at my game pass list um and it's kind of sad to see um and we've talked about this extensively kind of the slow and painful decline of the this game and i guess this series in general um it being a, a literal household name um in the earlier 2000s uh billboards in times square uh, stuff like that. And now it just kind of completely falling by the wayside. Very sad to see. And I think it's not going to get any better. Um, I think the introduction of Forge um, and the cancellation of things like the co-op campaign um, kind of soured some people. I heard a lot of people saying the Forge was going to bring things back. I don't really think you can rely on things that are made by the fans. As wonderful as they have been, even in the previous entries, um, it's not something that most people are going to re-download for that. Um, so solid game. It's really sad to see. I mean, the moment to moment gameplay of this game is really fun. Um, but it just is lackluster, lackluster in so many other ways and kind of, uh, under, underperformed and they underdelivered. Um, so I really, really, really wish we could see the Xbox numbers. Um, yeah. I think they, they absolutely would never do that, but I am morbidly curious, um, I don't know. I could see it going either way. I could see it being way more than I expected or exceptionally less. Um, either way, they're in trouble. Uh, so, Dave, uh, a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago now, you mentioned, I don't know why everybody hates on Halo Infinite. And then soon after that, you realized why. What do you think about these numbers? Um, I think it's good that you highlighted that, you know, this is Steam. And I think the console player base is probably going to be traditionally much stronger Um, but I think with everything that's happened with Halo Infinite, um, this is probably a pretty fair representation to what's happening over on the Xbox as well, which is really, really, really sad. Um, 
I do want to point out that, like, for me, the way I've grown up with Halo, like, I got out of it what I wanted. Um, I still pop into the multiplayer every now and then. Um, but I thought the campaign was solid. It was it was a really nice sort of evolution, moving it into an open world. Um, and it kind of harkened back to traditional um, Halo combat involved in ways that it needed to, because Halo, um, Halo 5 and Halo Guardians was kind of, I don't know, it was, it rubbed people the wrong way. But, um, yeah, this is really sad, but we, we kind of live in a day and age in, in video games where there are a lot of comeback stories out there. There's there's No Man's Sky, there's Battlefield 2042, which is starting to turn the corner. Um, there's there's Battlefront 2. Um, so I, I'm wondering, and I, I kind of big dicks and butts, I put the story in here, because I was curious if either of you thought there was anything that Microsoft could do to start the turn the ship, because we, we haven't seen it yet. Um, but what would what do you guys think would need to be that first sort of step for for Microsoft to build a comeback story with Halo Infinite? I gotta be honest, I don't even know the condition the game is in right now. I think it's just you know lacking a lot of content because I haven't popped in, in so long. But I will say that they recently replaced a lot of the leadership and changed out a lot of folks. Now I know some folks got laid off as well, but I know that they changed out a lot of people who were you know, in leadership positions. And it takes time to see those those types of things, those changes be implemented. So I'm hopeful that whatever they did will bring the game back because I would love nothing more than to be in love with a Halo game right now. Like, I really do like Halo and always have. I bought the first Xbox because of the game and had every console after that, every Xbox console after that. So, like, I, I want Halo to succeed, but I personally don't really know what the fixes are yeah yeah i mean it is kind of difficult to nail down something specifically um i think that a c- content would help a lot um they certainly have been adding battle passes and there have been there there has been a slow drift feed of content i think they should uh, prioritize new content as well as old content um i think that it shouldn't be that difficult to reproduce some of the old maps. I feel like that would kind of bring back the nostalgia. Um, just get those pumped out. You already know the layouts. Maybe update them a little bit. Get them out there. Uh, that mixed with just a generous uh, helping of new content, I think, would really help spur on um, a resurgence. Maybe something new altogether. I mean, maybe maybe a new and interesting game mode um, that could get people talking about it again. Maybe a little um, battle royale. They just need something fresh. I mean, honestly, I don't know that i need halo battle royale right. but I, I certainly would try it yeah i i would be more inclined to pop back into the game if it had a new game mode that's never been to halo than if i was to pop in after i left this podcast so right yeah just something fresh i think um and i don't think it would hurt to kind of bring back some old stuff as well i'm um, just kind of for the fans so yeah moving on it's that time it's time to talk about what we've been playing before we do that, though, I want to remind everybody, we have a Discord you can hang out in. It's free to hang out. Go over to handsomephantom.com slash Discord. We would love to have you there. Also, if you want to help support the show, it's very cheap to do so. You can sign up on our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. That's less than 25 cents an episode. Get ad-free early access to the show. We appreciate you being dollar there. Dollar per hour Dave, value you, is excellent. The, that's true. I'm through the roof. Yeah. Yeah, really. Dave, you, you have a game specifically on your list that I've been wanting to hear about because it's been drawing my eye. So why don't we send you up first? Because I'm anxious to hear about it. Sure. Marvel Snap. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been playing three things this week. More Marvel Snap. Nothing more to say there. Uh, a little bit more Cult of the Lamb. Uh, nothing more to say there. They're just... Cults of the Lamb especially is just such a perfect like pick up and play game uh, for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour or whatever. Uh, that's why I love it on the Switch. It doesn't run that well, but still, it's 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 nice on the Switch. We love you, Devolver. We really do. Um, but yeah, so I'm 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 settled into my my in laws' house. My wife and I are staying here for um, about six weeks before we move into our new place. Uh, I have my computer set up finally, so I was looking for something new to play. And I was just randomly on Reddit yesterday, and uh, somebody in the gaming um, subreddit was like please tell me something to play. What it was, what is everybody playing? And the first game that came up, so that the top rated comment and the third top rated comment were both the same game. And there, there, it was a game I have never heard of before. It's called Dave, the diver. 
And I thought, fucking, I'm sold. It's called Dave the Diver. That's me. <laughs> um, so I looked it up <laughs> on Steam and it was like 96% overwhelmingly positive reviews. I thought, okay, that's, that looks good. It was 26 Canadian dollars. Okay. Looks kind of cool. And I bought it. It was the first time in a long time that I've just kind of hit purchase without you know, looking up a review or reading an article about what the gameplay loop is like or anything. I was just like, I'm in. Um, and it felt good because the, the game is a lot of fun. I'm, I'm having fun with Dave the Diver. Um, it's advertised on Steam as an RPG. I don't know if that's uh, accurate because the, I think that's giving it a little bit too much credit, but it is it is an indie game. Uh, it's, it's visuals are very pixel-based and um, you play as a diver. And it's it's similar in it to Cult of the Lamb in that the gameplay loop is kind of split like 60%, 40%. So the game works on a loop of, of uh, uh, a day-night cycle that's broken into three parts. So you have morning, afternoon, and night. During the morning and the afternoon, you dive down into the ocean and you do a lot of different things such as hunt different kinds of fish. Uh, you pick up different kinds of scrap. Uh, you go on different side missions and main missions to recover like relics from different lost civilizations and stuff. And that kind of forms some of the main missions that you do. Um, and you do all that and you have to manage like your stamina and your, your oxygen levels and you get upgrades for new equipment and stuff. And you meet all these interesting characters. Uh, when you are done diving, you go back up to your boat and everything you, uh, all of your haul you deposit and then all of your fish goes to a sushi shop. Uh, and then at night you run that sushi shop. So it's a lot like, um, uh, like undercooked, um, where like you have different customers that come in and you have to quickly serve them. And as you get more busy, you can hire staff and, uh, you have a social media feed that you can get likes on and, and stuff like that. So it's a really light, it's fun. It's, it's got times where it's, it's, um, it's, it's really hectic, but it's, it's a chill game. Um, in that same subreddit, there was a lot of people talking about playing it on their Steam Deck, and this is a perfect game for your Steam Deck. I'm playing it on desktop, but if you have a Steam Deck and you're looking for something chill and, and cool to just, again, kind of play um, on and off where you can jump in and jump out for 20 or 30 minutes, this is the perfect game for that. Or if you want to get lost in it, like I did yesterday for three hours, uh, you can do that too. So um, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with Dave the Diver. It's probably 15 to $20 American. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for something fun and, and simple to play that won't take you hours and hours to, to complete or get into, then, uh, this is, this is probably one worth checking out. So yeah, Dave, the diver, I'm having a good time. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think it's on the, um, on the steam sale right now. I think it's cheap on there or cheaper. It was so. only, it only came out last week, but it was like 10% off right, when I right. bought it. So um yeah not a nice. big discount but it could be a launch discount i suppose yeah but yeah. more than worth it again you're supporting a small uh, korean south korean indie studio um who've, who've got a lot of talent and, and good sense of humor um in this game too so something that feels good nice. we're supporting and we talk a lot about microtransactions and ea and ubisoft and stuff like this it's nice when a game like this comes around i used to play game a lot of games like this when we were reviewing and i don't as much anymore mm-hmm. so it's nice to kind of go back to something like this so Right. Brandon, uh, your games are up next and your last one I will chime in on since I'm playing it as well. Absolutely. So I, I'm, I'm just going to start off with this one. It's more of a dishonorable mention um, <laughs> on, a, on a whim um, whilst browsing the store. I, uh, I'm a man who likes to fish. OK, and I haven't done it in a good time. Um, a good while. Um, and so I figured, you know, I'd look around the store and see what I could find. And I stumbled upon a free game called Fishing Planet. Um, and uh, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. Um, not only was this game completely uh, performance wise a nightmare, um, but it was at every turn asking me for uh, money. Um, just so egregious. Um, probably one of the worst ones I've seen in a while. Um, and just very disheartening. Um, to not only play something that barely functioned, um, the first mission, I had to crash the app um, for it to even progress forward. Um, it was very clear what the uh, uh, what all of the effort was being put into <laughs> on this game. Not something that I was expecting too highly of, but somehow still managed to fall short. Um, so uh, even at a free price tag, would not recommend a game called Fishing Planet <laughs> by any means. 
Um, still playing a bunch of car games. Um, still playing GT7, doing my daily runs. I'll pop back into Forza Horizon 5 after having a bit of a break with that. Um, I love that game because unlike Gran Turismo 7, there is always an incentive to play. Um, just literally constantly something to do, constant challenges and rewarding challenges at that. Um, so I really applaud Microsoft Studios for being able to uh, make my time feel rewarded um, even after beating the most of the experiences in the game. Um, that being said, being starved for car games, I tried something new that I think Dave played, I think. Did you play Dirt 5? Yes, I did. Yeah. I just downloaded that. I played probably about an hour of that. Really enjoying that so far. Haven't ever experienced um, a rally uh, game. I don't know that it's quite a sim, but I haven't really experienced a rally game ever. So really excited to get my toes wet as far as that goes. Um, And I remember Dave talking about it pretty favorably. So I'm looking forward to continuing to play that. But um, aside from that, just some battle bit, man. I, I have about 15 hours in now. Um, just surprised with how fun this game is, genuinely. Um, I don't know how to describe it, <laughs> uh, but like when you're playing 127 players versus 127 players, you think it would be more like uh, stressful or taxing. But honestly, the environment just ends up being super goofy and honestly hilarious about half the time. Um, whether it be the prox chat or just the ridiculous situations you end up getting yourself into with these sandbox um, type maps. So would highly, highly recommend still. Um, I feel much, much, much more favorably. I didn't have much time into it last week, but yeah, this this game is a treat. And at like two or three gigabytes, it's something that I probably will always keep downloaded on my computer just easily. So. Yeah, I, I was just going to sing the praises of Battlebit as well. I've been playing it uh, with Brandon and our buddy Justin. And um, man, it's just so much. It's so refreshing to get a shooter that just works. I mean, there are some little issues with it here and there, but like there's not that much going on. So there's not that much that can be broken. And like there's not an issue of. Uh, really, I don't think there's like a hit hit reg issues and there's not really issues with like, oh, I put the wrong skin on my gun. So now it looks like Optimus Prime's asshole. Like that had to happen in in Call of Duty (laughs) a few times, you know, back in the day. So it's just super duper refreshing to have a a, a small little game like this that's really fun and just works. And I wanted to say like the some of the best parts about the game are the, the, the hot mics, the open mics where it's all, you know, pretty much prox chat. Uh, and you don't have to participate in it if you don't want to. But if you, like, get shot and you're down and you need somebody to get you up, they're not always necessarily going to see you. So you can, like, use your prox chat. And anybody who's nearby you, friend or foe, uh, will hear you talking to them, calling out to to get a res. And, you know, you res people and they're, you know, they're very thankful and they tell you they're thankful. And, and you kill a guy and he cusses you out. And, you know, like, it, it's just... I, I love games with um, uh, open world communication, I suppose you could say. And at first, before I started playing it, I thought it was going to be too much. I'm like, really? A hundred and however many people on a team? I don't want to talk to all of them. But you're not even talking to your squad. You're just like, oh, yeah, I think you can. But like for us, we're just talking to the people that are near us if we want to. So that's a lot of fun for sure. And it seems maybe they're being a little overzealous with it. I don't know. But I feel like constantly I'm seeing like it shows you when people are getting banned and they're getting banned for, you know, things like hate speech or discrimination and also for cheating, uh, which is really refreshing to see for a small little indie game with very few players like this. Uh, if you, like you said, it was developed by three people. I think you said last week. Yeah. And for them to have, you know, easy anti-cheat installed and also be banning people who are getting around that. Woo. Call of Duty could take some lessons. <laughs> Love to see it. Love to see it. So, Battle Bit, great, fun, lots of lots of fun to be had there for sure. The other thing I'm playing is Final Fantasy 16. And I was going to play this, but I was planning on borrowing it from a friend uh, when they were done with it. But then I found out I needed to play it a little quicker, so I didn't get spoiled on it for work. And I'll tell you what. I played the demo and absolutely loved it. And I'm a, I'm a longtime Final Fantasy fan. 
a lapsed fan, but a longtime fan. But Final Fantasy 16 is awesome. A lot of people are like having the conversation about whether it's a Final Fantasy game or not. And I'm here to tell you, I don't give a shit because it's a good game. Uh, very fast, fluid action. The combat sequences are a lot of fun. The combat can be super easy, but if you don't like th- there's these rings that are they call them cheat rings, like on all the forums and message boards and stuff. Listen to me talking like an old boomer message boards and forums. Um, you know, there's the, there's cheat rings which like make it so that you auto dodge and stuff like that and I heard people talking about uh, about how easy the game was and I'm like well do you have those on they're like yeah I'm like well take them off and it actually like forces you to, you know like imagine that play the game uh, if you want to play it with those on that's totally fine I'm okay with that I don't think they shouldn't be there but like the game is a lot deeper the combat is a lot deeper than I think a lot of people are giving it credit for Uh, The story is amazing. I think I'm about halfway through the game, maybe slightly less, but I think about halfway through. And the story is just like really riveting, very much like political intrigue mixed with fantasy. Like a lot of people have compared it to Game of Thrones. And I think I understand why that's the case. But like it's I think it's a little bit above that. Like there's a lot more here um, than that and way less nudity and um, and rape. So that's you know the rape the lack <laughs> sure, of rape thing sure. is, a, is a plus for me absolutely. Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm uh, I'm I'm probably just going to keep chugging through that for the rest of this week. I don't know that I'll have much more to talk about next week. But uh, Final Fantasy 16, man, it's um, it's can I ask, it's, it's can great. I just ask a question? Um, there's a lot yes. of controversy uh before this game came out about the uh, yeah. the combat system and i'm just trying to understand i've heard people say it plays more like a devil may cry game than um somebody even the newer final fantasy game so like in in final fantasy 7 remake like you fought stuff and then you could kind of slow down time and, and switch characters and stuff like that is there any of that in final fantasy 16 or is it 100 percent action all the time it's pretty much all action all the time. It's definitely closer to like a DMC five. I would say um, there is a little bit of a slowdown mechanic when you parry a specific way and you have a little bit of time, but like you're not, you're not really slowing down time in the, in the way that you're talking about with final fantasy seven remake. Um, there are like multiple sets of, as you progress through the game, you get more and more powers, of course. And, there are multiple different sets of powers that you can use and you have to like cycle through them and select them um, while holding down a specific set of buttons, uh, unless you're using those rings, which I did throw on for the first hour I played the game. And I was like, Nope, can't do it. Sorry. Um, I I mean, I could do it. And if there's a really hard boss, I probably will do it, but it's not my favorite way to play, but no, it's, it's definitely not in any sense of the word turn-based, if that makes sense. So that that's disappointing to a lot of people. And they're like, this isn't like Final Fantasy seven or Final Fantasy. And I'm like, yeah, you only ever played Final Fantasy seven, probably like this is or four. You know, this is um, this is very much like the last few Final Fantasy games, perhaps a bit more sim- simple down. Like it's it definitely is more like a DMC five game for sure. But I'm loving it. I'm having a lot of fun. The, the combat's great, very fast. You feel awesomely powerful constantly. And um, like I said, the story and the characters are just really, really good. Really good. That's it, boys. I was going to say, do you think that's a play for more mass appeal? I don't know, because the games have always had, not always, but like the games have had mass appeal for a long time. If they were concerned about mass appeal, they would have put it on Switch, but they didn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't think it would run on Switch, Dave. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> I, 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 I guess it could be a, a a move towards that, but I really just think they found the combat system that was fun to play and used it. That's, Which is that's really yeah. what I think. Yeah, nothing. Is wrong it with that. too? You, cool. no. This might be a silly question based on what you said, but uh, are there too many cutscenes, Ben? Not for me. There may be for some people. Um, I think the game is between 30 and 40 hours long. And I think I saw an article at one point that said it had uh, over 11 hours of cutscenes. And I don't know how they're quantifying that. Uh, there are a lot of cutscenes. Don't get me wrong. that are actually like fully, you know, CG. But then there's a lot of conversations you have where you can skip through them. Like once you've read the the subtitles and you don't miss anything, you're just like not hearing them speak the whole thing out if you want to. So if they were counting that as a cutscene too, then you know it's definitely cutting down on that. But 
I think for some people, it's definitely too much story, too much cutscene. But for me, it's, I mean, that's what I, that's what I want out of a Final Fantasy game. Like, I want the story. Right. The, the combat's great, but I want the story too. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really good. Very linear. There are a few places it opens up, but I'm okay with that. Because again, like, that's what I was in the mood for. I was in the mood for something more linear, more like, tell me a story. Let me feel like a god. Um, yeah, it's it's what I was what I was looking for. I think we'll find out how this how I feel like the, I've heard a lot of controversy about the story con- controversy uh, controversy. However, Dave said it earlier that it sounded cool in English, but I've heard a lot of controversy about the story as it goes, and I think you know that may change. But I I'm still going to say that the first fifteen to twenty hours of it is amazing. So. No matter how the rest of it goes, the first 15 to 20 hours of it is great. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's it. That's all we've yes. been playing. That's every single possible bit of news that has happened this week that you won't find any more anywhere else, I promise. Uh, we've brought it all to you. <laughs> Don't right. forget, you can sign up on our Discord and hang out with us, handsomephantom.com slash Discord, and over on Patreon at patreon.com slash handsomephantom. We appreciate your support. Boys, we got to get out of here before the fireworks start. Okay? That's right. We're gonna all you're gonna be able to hear is snap, crackle, and pop and and loud cars with loud engines. So before we go, um I have not finished my beer yet. I just thought you guys should know it's been an hour and I have not oh, finished my beer. Warm beer. That's I'm, not very American. Warm IPA at that. It is it's not warm yet. It was pretty cold whenever I whenever I grabbed it. But all right, boys. I think that's it. We'll see you next week. America. The HP Podcast is made possible by our patrons over at patreon.com slash handsome phantom. The following patrons are at the $5 level or above. Toby Ryland, Edward Walton, Josh Cummings, Jared, Poot, Boots, Passive Pixels Edwin Castillo, Maurice Bays, Htrons, Nuke Dukem, Derek O, Rainick, Christian Snow, Grabalicious, Benji Bop, and Johnny Waffles. <laughs>